That's TBA. Any suggestions are welcome. Stay tuned for Gray Matters. Good evening, and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And, uh, of course, a lot of local adventure over the weekend. Um, I was actually driving a cab that night of the uh, tornado that touched down nearby and uh, the incredible rain that we got. And one of the consequences of climate change is the fact that rainstorms now are going to be heavier, more frequent, and are going to cause more problems. And just a quick uh, couple of words of advice, since I witnessed firsthand uh, the way people's lives are changed in an instant. Um, I took a fellow down to Dundee at uh, wow, 4.45 in the morning, roughly. And he had broken down in Ann Arbor. Uh, he got off of work. He works in Ann Arbor. Um, I didn't know that Dundee was where the, the heart of the matter was. Eight tornadoes touched down in southeast Michigan. The greatest uh, path of uh, destruction was in Dundee. Exactly. And the thing that was amazing was his car, he drove into a lake on 94, <laughs> I-94. And because it had rained so heavy so often uh, over that five- or six-hour period, I mean, what was strange about it was I've lived in Ann Arbor probably uh, 30 years, more than 30 years, and I don't think I've seen it rain that much that hard Mm -hmm. for that long. Staten Eisenhower was a lake. Uh, There were a number of cars completely stranded. I don't know why anybody thought they could drive down. A low area where you can't, you, you can see there's clearly water there. But a, a fellow entering 94 off that loop, eastbound 94, mm-hmm. you don't realize that there's, there's, a, there's a hill on one side. And on both sides of 94, there's hills. That's why yep. it's so hard to enter 94. If you're going to Detroit on that exit, you've, you feel like, why can't I accelerate here? Right. Well, there's a hill on the other side as well. And this was just a situation where... Just in the middle of the night, 2.30 in the morning, he drove into a lake along with other people. And, of course, when we dropped him off at the Dundee exit, I saw the roof of the Shell uh, gas station that was blown off its uh, its top. This landed on the freeway, (laughs) i.e. 23, northbound. Mm -hmm. Wow. 
probably I saw 50 emergency vehicles. I heard from the fellow uh, that uh, the National Guard was already in Dundee. Well, that that's impressive response by the state of Michigan. That's not what you saw in Katrina. And, of course, the, the hurricane that hit Katrina, we have no idea... Um, in comparison, what it's like, I once left New Orleans as, a, as an amazing storm was hitting, and the adjacent city to New Orleans got 26 inches of rain in one day. That's over an inch an hour. Ann Arbor gets about 35 to 36 inches of precipitation a year. That includes snow in the winter. That's everything. Yeah, wow. That gives you an idea of the power of water. And, uh, you know, you, you don't want to take a chance going through. Uh, where the water is, if you can't see the painted lines, it's too deep. Don't even attempt it. You may ruin your car, and you may get hurt. Uh, I had to deal with a, a lake over on Maple Road at one point. I came up to the water. I could see the yellow line in the center of the road. I said, well, I'll keep going till I can't see the yellow line. Because I don't know how deep right. it is. But I could see... The length of the of the standing water knew that I could probably make it as long as I could see the yellow line. I made it, went slow. But this is just uh, an example of, uh, you know, if if you hear the sirens going off about tornadoes, you don't need to go out and drink beer at the the local pub that night. <laughs> go down to the beer store and stay at stay at home. Cars, you're safe in the thunderstorm because your wheels are grounded, but you got to be careful about water that you just don't know how deep it is. Well, and sometimes that water is actually moving, and you can't tell until you're in it and in with the flow. And it's too late. There's I no debris floating on the surface, then you're driving into it blind. And, of course, remember that a lot of this, the, the low-lying spots in Ann Arbor are on the south side, State Street, uh, the golf course... Uh, all the water comes flying off the golf course, yep. the U of M golf course. Massive puddles and lakes at uh, near the railroad tracks at State and uh, Stimson. Amazingly, the next day there was a little lake that I could see on the golf course, and there was a family of ducks. They thought they had a new home. Mom was showing the little ones how to go into the water, and they were kind of looking around wondering, was this here yesterday? I don't remember this. <laughs> so well, fascinating uh Stuff and uh, be very careful. And and f for the record, never ever take eastbound uh, State Street I ninety four if you're trying to go to Detroit on I ninety four. That loop spin that goes yeah. down the hill that turns into a lake when you get rain like we had on Saturday night into Sunday morning. Unbelievable stuff. And uh, unfortunately, and you know, I saw a lot of foolishness. Yeah, well, to be sure. But uh, it, it's. Little episodes like this, so-called acts of God, yeah. which is what they're legally recognized as in insurance parlance, um, that the you mentioned the rapid response of uh, the Michigan National Guard and, of course, the sirens. And uh, if you were watching TV at home, of course, your program was interrupted by uh, emergency broadcast. Yes, and public radio. So, public radio. Mm -hmm. All of these uh, anti-tax, anti-government Tea Party in enthusiasts, tea baggers, as of course we uh, know them uh, to be. Uh, this is what government is for. This is why we pay taxes. And uh, of course, 
many of us have disagreements on how our taxes are spent in other ways. But when it comes to public safety, uh, communication of emergency situations, rapid response to uh, life-threatening and dangerous situations, that's what it's all about. And the only way you get that is through uh, paying taxes and uh, local government. Yeah, and it's very interesting. I, I found an article uh, that was taken basically a couple of days before, uh, a, a couple of days after um, uh, Barack Obama was uh, inaugurated as president. So this is from the 23rd of January. And what's interesting about it, of course, we're in the middle of the financial crisis. So the economy and jobs are uh, one, two on the domestic concerns of American citizens at that point. And the interesting thing about the graph is they show the changes in concerns of the American people over time, uh, dating back uh, to the previous year. And uh, what's interesting to me is that of the 20 top issues, global warming ranked 20th, trade policy 19th, lobbyists 18th and immigration 17th with the environment ranking 16th (laughs) Um, some of these other problems are certainly problems but uh, it it demonstrates the power of the media to manipulate messages Uh, for the record uh, even the US toady noted uh, in September uh, 17th of uh, 2009, uh, from Doyle Rice, that uh, the summer temperatures for the Earth's ocean surface ranked as the warmest on record, according to a report released Wednesday. This is uh, um, nine months ago. Well, yeah, ten months ago, <laughs> whatever, um, by the National Climate Data Center. This is from last year. So... Um, these problems are, are not going to go away anytime soon. And uh, it's fascinating. You know, the, the latest uh, New York Review of Books has a uh, – eh, what did they do with it? Oh, here it is. Wrong one. Yeah, it's uh, interesting. There's a very good article in here by Paul Volcker that I would highly recommend uh, reading in which he talks about the uh, urgency of uh, financial reform. But it's fascinating um, – I only read one of these other articles, but uh, an article by Nicholas Stern in the June 24th edition of the New York Review of Books, What You Need to Know, Climate. And it goes into the details about the the cause of Bill McKibben, who's a famous uh, sort of global environmentalist, talking about the problems with CO2. And he's formed an organization called 350.org that's uh, designed to stabilize concentrations of CO2 at 350 parts per million. As uh, Nicholas Stern writes, is the trouble is is that the current concentration is about 385 parts per million. So it's going up. Yeah. And as these models point out, um, and I'll just uh, continue uh, with uh, his argument uh, concerning uh, um, Bill McKibben, Nicholas Stern writes, we are likely to exceed that level within the next decade, but uh, with strong action, concentration of greenhouse gases could peak in the decade, and over a long stretch of time, with continuing strong actions, return to 450 parts per million or below. But if we carry on with something like business as usual, quote-unquote, we may reach concentrations at the end of the century that would imply a significant chance, perhaps as high as 50%, of a rise of global temperatures of 5 degrees Celsius or more, 
above its level in the 19th century, which is pretty much when the Industrial Revolution mm. started. This would be a temperature that has not been seen on the planet in 30 million years. Homo sapiens have been here for only around 200,000. So the paleoclimatology stuff is fascinating stuff, and it's very important to be, be aware of, uh, you know, with, with this oil spill in the, mm -hmm. in the Gulf, there's chit-chat and, and, you know, people trying to blame Obama for the whole thing, which makes no sense to me. <laughs> but uh, action's needed. Yeah. Well, a uh, couple of things. Uh I've got here uh, clipping-wise to connect right to that. First of all, and I'll maybe, if I remember, mention this again at the end of the program, but this Friday on Turner Classic Movies, a cable channel that we talk about a lot because yeah. we're both classic film uh, buffs, uh, this year marks the 100th, uh, the centenary of Jacques Cousteau's birth. And, of course, uh, he did a lot to uh, bring the issue of uh, climate change and water pollution to uh, the mainstream back when his programs used to be aired on television, uh, particularly in the 70s. But this Friday on uh, TCM, local cable channel 66, uh, they're going to be showing an entire day's worth of Jacques Cousteau programs. And at 11 a.m., if you're um, you know not at work or whatever, one in particular, uh, the Coast Cousteau Odyssey Mediterranean Cradle or Coffin, this episode of the Cousteau Odyssey, focuses on the slow death of the Mediterranean see and of course this is from 1977 so things have changed a lot since then but for the better or for the worse uh i think we all know which direction that's likely to have gone and uh, that's an entire day of jacques cousteau programming so uh very interesting but also a rare piece of good news uh an article by sarah murray in the financial times of june 4th uh about water and its corporate use uh, the Carbon Disclosure Project, I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs from her article here, uh, which since 2000 has used corporate data to report on the business risks and opportunities of climate change, re recently launched a program on water use. Uh, on behalf of investors, this project asks companies, in this case about 300 large businesses in water-intensive sectors, to fill out a questionnaire. It plans to publish the report by the fourth quarter of this year. Uh, the CDP, the Carbon Disclosure Project, has uh, 534 signatory investors with about $64,000 billion in assets uh, under management. And so far, the CDP Water Disclosure Initiative has 137 signatory investors with $16,000 billion in assets. Um, Skipping ahead a bit here, uh, some of the questions they're asking, of course, are forcing uh, corporations to uh, understand better how resource constraints will affect the companies in uh, which investors are involved. Uh, for example, do businesses have water strategies or management plans uh, with targets for consumption? Uh, of course, uh, conversely, there might be opportunities for companies to save money by reducing consumption in their production processes or recycling. Uh, targeted companies are those involved in sectors such as food and beverage, chemicals and pharmaceuticals, mining, paper, and semiconductor manufacturing. And Mr. Uh, guy named Mr. Norton here, whose first name I uh, can't find immediately, is quoted as he's involved in the water project, water disclosure project. Quote, water is a new subject to many companies. 
So we want to make the process as painless as possible and encourage participation. But at the same time, we need information that's relevant to investors. That's a very revealing statement there. Uh, The idea that water is a new subject to many companies. Uh, Corporations are just starting to uh, consider the obvious necessary resource of water as just that, a resource, which by definition is a scarcity and not simply a given. And since water is one of the uh, essential components of life itself, it's damn about time that there's been an initiative like this Mm -hmm. uh, to consider how do corporations use water? How much are they using? What are they using it for? What are they doing with it? Uh, And of course, the uh, outlook and agenda here is what are the long-term consequences for investors? But this is part of the slow process by which uh, systematic change for the good, uh, is beginning to occur. Yeah, and and if in the beginning God said there was light, (laughs) and there was light, chapter 2 should have been in the beginning, it was wet. Because uh, the miracle of life on earth as we know it is because water is liquid, and it's only liquid in the state of, of, of matter, in the state of physics, in the state of existence as we know it between zero degrees Celsius, and, uh, well, it gets a little warm after it gets up to about 25, but uh, without water being in that temperature range, um, it's ice. You got nothing. And I don't know if there would be uh, life with ice, but uh, I certainly don't know whether the world will end in fire or ice. I suspect that the Earth will end first in fire and then in ice eventually. Or simply through exhaustion. <laughs> when the light goes out, i.e. the sun, but apparently the sun will become a red giant at some very distant point, way, way into the future. Nothing that any of us have to worry about. The sun will start expanding, and the earth will go into the sun. By then, BP fire. will doubtless have capped the, uh, the leaking uh, well in the Gulf. Yeah, the bung plug. Well, although they fixed the report, issued, there is there is some good news. There is some progress. Yeah, They've some progress. Uh, cut the pipe, and that has uh, limited a bit. But uh, of course, no surprise that the official report, uh, in its early stages, has uh, come to the conclusion that BP was quote not prepared close quote for spill. Wait a minute, BP this stands for be prepared. <laughs> there you go. That's uh, the Boy Scout motto, by the way. Indeed, it is. Uh, And just on a final note, I wanted to read this uh, letter from Frank Lautenberg. He's the U.S. Senator from New Jersey. Uh, He wrote to the New York Times uh, over a year ago regarding the 20th anniversary of the Exxon Valdez spill. He uh, specifically notes that your March 24th, 20th anniversary editorial lessons of the Exxon Valdez notes 20 years since the tragedy, and I'm quoting from Lautenberg here, ExxonMobil continues to fight victims of its spill in court. ExxonMobil refused for years to pay punitive damages for the disaster and took the issue all the way to the Supreme yep. Court. Last year, the Supreme Court confirmed that Exxon owns owes punitive damages, although the court regrettably reduced the amount owed. Nonetheless, the company is still trying to avoid paying interest on these long overdue damages. ExxonMobil had record profits last year of $45.2 billion. 
and even last quarter, when other businesses were suffering, ExxonMobil posted a profit of $7.8 billion. Meanwhile, one report has the amount of lawyers' fees paid by ExxonMobil as part of its fight against the Valdez lawsuits at around $400 million. They can probably deduct that. Yes, that money, that's an expense, a business expense. That money and the time could have been spent making local communities whole again and helping restore the environmental damage done to Alaska's Prince William Sound. ExxonMobil needs to change its ways. The 20th anniversary of this disaster provides the perfect opportunity. This letter dated March uh, 23rd, 2009, Senator Frank Lautenberg, who has been an opponent, by the way, of offshore oil drilling. What does he represent? New Jersey, the state of New Jersey. New Jersey has a huge track of land that's on the ocean. And the people of New Jersey rightfully don't want to see oil rigs anywhere near that area. And one of the outrageous things about this spill is every experience is a learning experience, Danny. <laughs> Even LSD. <laughs> where, where is the, the teachable moment here? Yeah. What we're getting is all this sort of anger and rancor that's directed at the government, which is, you know... Interesting uh, that it's not more directed a little bit at BP and, you know, our energy policies. And, and, and you know, there needs to be a wake-up a wake up call here. Well, you wonder what, uh, although, of course, it's a moot point and a rhetorical <laughs> question simply that I'm articulating here because I'm sure she doesn't think about it at all. But you have to wonder what former Alaska governor Sarah Palin would think of Exxon's uh, truculence with regards to yeah. fessing up to its uh, responsibilities. And spending that kind of money to, to tie things up in court for that length yeah. of time. And this su- suggests, by the way, that this is what's going to happen, with the, unfortunately, with this spell. Let's remember that BP has these subcontractors that we talked about last week, i.e. the Halliburton Corporation, uh, former CEO Dick uh, Cheney, don't want to release those uh, records of the meeting with the energy people back before the Iraq war started. Have all sorts of executive privileges that uh, I'm going to. Yeah, well, her her new uh, thing, and I, I don't I try to ignore Palin as much as possible because I think she's a. A, a, a sideshow. A I mean, she is a clown, on a farce. Yeah. And when I heard recently that Bristol Palin will be joining the lecture circuit. <laughs> Um, like, um, you know, you know, like, what does she know? Well, I got drilled, baby. <laughs> I got drilled. We haven't heard much from drill, baby, drill, Palin, but apparently now she's advocating that we drill on land in the Arctic, Alaska refugee wildlife uh, preserve. That uh, doesn't strike me as the teachable or learnable moment from. No, but she might be, uh, and I hate to say this as a teacher, but she might be unteachable. <laughs> she definitely uh, doesn't read enough to learn, and uh, clearly retention yeah. of fact is uh, is an issue. Nope, but uh, she's still looking for Russia from the Bering Sea <laughs> with her binoculars. Now she's uh, trying to soak America for a while. 
all it's worth. She's the celebrity in chief. Well, speaking of celebrity, I've got a brief uh, item of borderline entertainment here. Of course, we haven't really talked about the uh, botched Israeli commando raid on the uh, blockade uh, evading flotilla. Yeah, and yeah. that's that's become a very complicated thing. Uh, and I've got a lot of I've been spending most of my reading time this week uh, looking at all of the uh, articles mm-hmm. pertaining to that particular and so we might not actually get to that today, uh, although I will because we're coming up on the World Cup uh, starting later this week. Uh, one columnist, uh, Gideon Rockman, observed that uh, it's another example of, quote, a classic Israeli own goal. Uh, so many times, especially under the leadership, uh, quote unquote, of Benjamin Netanyahu, a.k.a. Boo Boo, uh, the Israeli government seems to uh, make decisions and maneuvers that uh, end up hurting their reputation Mm -hmm. and standing on the international stage. And so an own goal is a pretty apt metaphor there. But uh, it caught my attention that Rush Limbaugh was married again recently for the fourth time. Oh, my. And... um, who is the lucky? Who is bride? the lucky lady? Well, Did I he marry Glenn Beck. <laughs> <laughs> that could be a match made in heaven, yes, and perhaps a more lasting one than his previous three. Um, Clarence Thomas's blessings were apparently not enough to uh, ensure a lasting union with uh, Mrs. Limbaugh the uh, third. But what's most bizarre about this is that uh, Elton John performed at the reception. Okay, and of course. Rush is not famous. You're sure, he didn't marry Glenn Beck. For his uh, <laughs> uh, friendly disposition towards uh, his fellow citizens who uh, may, in fact, be homosexuals. Um, but perhaps borrowing a page from uh, Eminem, uh, who sort of did a publicity uh, appearance with uh, Elton John to sort of, uh, you know, take uh, away some media attention from Eminem's. Uh, anti-gay, uh, homophobic lyrics and, and so forth. But then it's revealed that, oh, wait a minute, Elton John was paid a million dollars. Oh, okay. And, you know, let's face it, would you go to Rush Limbaugh's wedding for a million dollars? Well, I guess if all he had to do was sing for an hour or whatever, <laughs> I don't know whether he was the the crooner while the... While the for while, the whole reception, for right. For the whole reception, just, or, uh, whether uh, there was a... A serenade on 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 the balcony somewhere, <laughs> but uh, imagine the festivities at that particular. And so, yeah, maybe we need to find out where was Glenn Beck this weekend. <laughs> well, that sounds like a lot of celebrity messes there, and uh, we should actually mention very quickly. You know, that it was one of the big stories today. It was unfortunately it was the resignation of Helen Thomas. You've heard about this. Indeed, yeah. And Unfortunate comments that she made. Um, I think if she had just left it at Palestinians, you know, Israel, get out of Palestine, she would have been okay. But it was the introduction of the Holocaust references that uh, certainly created the outrage. And it's fascinating. Uh, earlier this year, we had a couple of military commanders openly uh, testify and opine that... Uh, pointing out the obvious fact that Israel uh, is sometimes uh, not uh, pursuing policies that are in America's interest, that they are 
not helping in the war on terrorism specifically. More of a liability than an asset. And it's fascinating that Anthony Cordesman, uh, just this week, um, in an article headlined, Israel as a Strategic Liability, um, and Anthony Cordesman is, is one of the, I think, re- respectable sort of objective military analysts. I think he was, by heads and shoulders, the best uh, mainstream military analyst in both the Persian Gulf War uh, under Papa Bush and the Iraq War under Bush the uh, Lesser. Um, knows his stuff, but it's interesting in the article by Helene Cooper uh, regarding this uh, article... Cordesman noted that America's commitment to Israel is motivated by morality and ethics, a reaction to the Holocaust, to Western anti-Semitism, and to American foot-dragging before and during World War II that left European Jews slaughtered by the Nazis. Second, Israel is a democracy with the same values as the United States. Third, the United States will never abandon Israel and will help it keep its military edge over its neighbors, and America will guard Israel against an Iranian nuclear threat. However, recent Israeli governments, particularly the one led by uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, Mr. Cordesman argued, have ignored the national concerns of its biggest benefactor, the United States, and instead have taken steps that damage America's interests abroad. Quote, the uh, depth of America's moral commitment does not justify or excuse actions by an Israeli government that unnecessarily makes Israel a strategic liability when it should remain an, ad, an, an asset, Mr. Cordesman wrote in a commentary for the Centrist Center for Strategic and International Studies, where he is the Arle A. Burke Chair in Strategy. Quote, it's time Israel realized that it has obligations to the United States, as well as the United States to Israel, and that it will become far more, that it, become far more careful about the extent to which it tests the limits of U.S. patience and exploits the support of American Jews. That's an intellectual, centrist, mainstream intellectual talking, you know, broaching a subject that can get you in trouble sometimes. You start talking like this, people are going to start demanding your resignation and apologies and start throwing around anti-Semitism as your analysis. And this has just simply got to end. Um, Helen Thomas um, is 89 years old. And to put this gently, she had a senior moment. (laughs) She should have retired some years back. Yeah. I mean, the Bush, uh, the lesser administration, effectively pushed her to the back of the room. Yeah. In fact, literally, they removed her from the front. Yeah, and they wouldn't call on her sometimes. Um, And we once again have to to be very aware of the modern media era that we live in. You know, if somebody puts a camera in your face... You're on YouTube. You're on Candid Camera. And it's not Candid Camera that uh, some people watch, uh, you know, in downtown Baltimore and rural Tennessee. It's viral. And it's interesting that just recently, uh, and this is uh, a little over uh, eight months ago, a California lawmaker, a Republican state lawmaker from Yorba Linda, has resigned after he was caught on tape about bragging about having sex with a female lobbyist and another woman. (laughs) We don't need to go into the details, but obviously they were caught on microphone. 
And um, it says Mr. Uh, Duval, who's married and has two children, received a 100% rating from the Capital Resources Institute, a conservative advocacy, advocacy group, for his votes on legislation considered pro-family in the 2007-2008 legislative session. So well, much we for, know about those pro-family uh, agenda people. Yeah. 